We have been looking at some cartoon frames over these Sundays of Advent, the family circus it's called, and we're thinking of Christmas along the lines of that uh, daily one frame vignette, if you will, glimpse at a family, a mom and dad, four children, their pets, and how they live life, one that perhaps you have been reading for years and years. But for purposes of today, there were a couple of extras that I had that we couldn't use, but I wanted you to have a glance at them because they're pretty cool. Little boy's looking at his mom. I'm going to go for a walk down the street, and the grandmother's sitting in the background, and the caption says, Grandma said Christmas is just around the corner. So I think that's pretty neat. And then here's brother and sister. Mom, can we start being naughty again, or do we still have to be nice? So... And then for today, it's black and white. It came out on the 15th of December, 1964. So some of us were alive back then, some perhaps not. But it is dad coming in from work. You can see he's taking off his overcoat. Mom is peeking around the corner with the baby. And the three little children are showing their dad the nativity set. I I suppose they set it up uh, themselves that day. And the dad says, very nice, but how did the cowboy and the dinosaur get there? And if you look carefully, you'll see a dinosaur on one side of the manger or the stable. And then a cowboy, I guess a John Wayne type, is approaching the manger from the other side. How did the cowboy and the dinosaur get there? Looking at Christmas from the perspective of a child is pretty amazing. And I think that there's everything right about children putting cowboys and dinosaurs around the manger. I think it's okay. I think the Scripture tells us that there are some some guidelines for living and that if we can take those guidelines and apply them to everyday living, but especially to the momentous occasion of Advent, of Christmas and view it as a child views the manger, perhaps, and learn from it and grow from it. A passage that we want to share this morning is from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, where I just entitled it in my own mind, putting all the pieces together. You see that with this nativity set I have, there are many, many standard pieces that belong in any manger scene. And Paul, when he wrote to the church at Colossae, I think was trying to help them understand how the pieces of their faith, the pieces of of God's Word, how they were going to arrange those in their lives. Because these people faced a challenge, not too much unlike the challenges we face today. In just about every walk of life, you and I are tempted to turn away from the path that we know to be true to acknowledge that this is God's Word, but then as we read it, we don't practice it. We get sidetracked and distracted. And it can happen to anyone at any time. It especially happens this season of the year of Advent. But I think Paul, through the words that God gave to him, as we call it God's holy Word, His perfect Word, His revelation to us, he gives us some ideas to build upon. And as we take those ideas and look toward next Sunday, the 25th of December, the day we celebrate as the birth of the King, 
maybe these words will help. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery That is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with a persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in the body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore... As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. I want you to look at that verse. Look at the screen. And I want you in your mind to put in bold letters the word as and the word so. And hear it like this. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Hang on to that thought having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. The best evidence tells us that Paul never went to Colossae. Some would argue that point. I think that the evidence from the book of Acts would give us reason to think that Paul is writing to a group of people he had never really met. He knew some of the people from other places. But on all of his three missionary journeys, it seems he either skirted south of Colossae or far to the north. It's located in Asia. It's about 100 miles east of the port city of Ephesus. It's not listed as one of the seven churches that are in that general area that are addressed in the book of Revelation. But the church at Colossae was... uh, was a place where people needed help. You see, the basic reason Paul wrote these words in Colossians is because he feared for their faith. Christianity, the Christian life among these people, was, was seemingly headed in one, or really one of two, wrong directions. On one hand, Paul writes and says, if you're not careful, you're going to make your Christianity just evaporate and become like steam. What he meant by that is, you're just going to cause your faith to become nothing more than another vain philosophy. It's just going to evaporate into nothing. It will not be significant in your lives at all. Or, on the other hand, your Christian life, based upon your attitude, is going to freeze up into a ritual to where your Christianity is nothing more than a frozen, unchangeable, unfriendly ritual that means nothing. Jesus did not say, I am the steam of life. He did not say, I am the ice of life. Jesus said, I am the water. I am the living water. Steam and ice, those forms of moisture, cannot nurture and sustain life. Only water in its liquid form can. And so Paul is saying, you've got to stay balanced. Your Christianity, is it going to evaporate into meaningless nothing 
vain philosophies? Or is it going to freeze into some type of ritual that doesn't relate to anyone? Is it just going to be going through the motions? And he tries to bring them back and steer them to the center, to the living water. That's what these verses are about. So he gets very personal about it. As we read through those verses, he talks about this as a struggle. He says, I'm not only struggling for you in Colossae, but those in Laodicea, which was a nearby village or town where there was another church. And he said, you people have never seen my face, but I want you to be encouraged because I'm encouraged. I want to encourage you in your faith and the understanding of what the great mystery of God is all about. And he says, the great mystery of God is nothing more and nothing less than Jesus Christ himself. Look how he put it. He said, a true knowledge of God's mystery. Mystery doesn't mean a whodunit. It's not like some suspense novel or a movie where everything is hidden until the very last moment. When he says mystery in the New Testament, he's talking about those things that seem hidden until you really understand the truth. So it's not that God is playing cat and mouse with us. It's not that he's trying to shroud something in secret to where no one but a few chosen ones can understand it. But he says, as you're living life, it's going to be easy to get distracted. But you need to understand that the greatest truth of all may seem hidden, but look closely. And if you look to Jesus, he is, he has, he always will be the ultimate answer. He talks about everything hidden, everything that contains treasures of wisdom and knowledge are going to be found in Jesus. And that fourth verse, he says, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Is your Christianity going to evaporate into meaningless philosophy? Is it going to freeze into some ritual that's meaningless as well? I pray that no one will deceive you with meaningless persuasion or persuasive argument. And that brings us to the very point of this season of Advent. Because if there's any misunderstanding about the nature of what is most important in the Christian life, it happens centered around this stable, around this manger, and our misunderstandings of what it's truly all about. Let's take a look at that manger for a moment. I brought, uh, I brought one from home. Actually, I brought two. I brought this one and I brought the bigger one. That sits out on our front porch. Marcy, my wife, is a collector of nativities. She, she has lots of these. There are lots of different sizes. She likes to, to give them. To, to people. And this one she let me bring. There's one that I wanted to bring that her sister Melinda, Melinda is an artist. She lives in Jonesboro, Arkansas, Marcy's younger sister. And she took the greenware of a nativity set and fired it in a kiln and then hand painted all of the detail on every figure and refired it again and glazed it. And it is a magnificent, it's beautiful. And it sits in our home. And I wanted to bring that, but I was told no, couldn't bring it. So I said, well, then, can I, will you trust me with this one? She says, I trust you with none of it, but you can bring this if you, you know, you're not, I, you know, you're not, my track record hasn't been too good at these things. But she let me bring this one, and it basically, she said, should be unbreakable, except for probably somebody like me. I'll try to be careful with it. But we've got this one that sits in our house in one part of uh, the living area. This one, if we come in, that's bigger, that's a little more rustic looking. 
Uh, she got that in Canton, and the actual roof of that stable is made off of an old church. People that made it uh, harvested lumber, recycled lumber from an old church in East Texas and built these manger uh, sets for, uh, for people to, to look at, to celebrate, to be reminded of the true meaning of Christmas. But here we go. This is, this is, a, this is a great one. This is very, very nice. You've got the principal elements. You've got the stable. You've got the shepherds here and here. You've got their cattle and the sheep that are lowing and all that. Then you have the three kings, the magi, we call them. Uh, history doesn't tell us their given names. Uh, there are certain sources that give them ancient names, and we'll never know exactly who they are. We'll never know if there were three or more of them. The only reason we say three kings is because the Bible says they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but it never says there were three of them. Could have been more, could have been less, and they didn't arrive here. Keep that in mind. Matthew 2 tells us that the wise men came from afar when Jesus was two years of age. That's why Herod the Great asked uh, for help from them, because he wanted to ascertain what the star meant that would lead to the home of Mary and Joseph and the two-year-old baby boy so that Herod could, could execute this child, could get rid of him. It didn't work out that way. But here's the manger scene. Now, our children in the family circus brought a cowboy and a dinosaur. And I told you earlier that I thought that was fine. Because you see, I think through the eyes of a child, the bringing of something like that, of a cowboy, something that belonged to that little boy or the dinosaur that belonged to one of those children, is just a reminder that in their minds, when they brought those things that were important to them and put them here among the shepherds and the wise men and the baby himself in his mother's arms, Mary and Joseph here, that it was their way of saying, God owns it all. He, he, he created everything. So what's wrong with his creation gathering around this scene? Nothing at all wrong with that. Matter of fact, I, I kind of went through my own mind and thought of some things that don't necessarily apply just to me. They probably apply to many of us here in the room. But just some elements that might be symbolic of things we would want to bring. Because when we think of adding can we can we truly add anything to the manger scene and it be okay i picked up a baseball and brought it because baseball i guess is a reminder and a symbol of recreation and games that you can't say those things aren't important because they are to us and so a lot of people are going to approach Christmas and they're going to be reminded of the importance of those things that are very, very important to them. And I brought something else here that, there it is. It's a game, a little game with a little ball, golf right here. Let's put it right there. Yeah. Then I looked in my little bag that I brought that just represents some things about my life. And I've got a I've got the little old Porsche 911 right here that I'm going to put right over here because it's going to, it's going to fit, you know, dinosaur, cowboy, why not? Represents something that, you know, I would like to have, you know, and if I were ever to have one, I would acknowledge and keep it in its proper place. So I bring that to the manger. Then if you get a little more serious about things, I've got, uh, 
I have an article of, it used to be sterile, clothing that I wore when I accompanied Marcy to the birth of all five of our children. So this little cap here is 32 years old because I wore it when Michael, our first daughter, was born. So I bring that, and I've got something. I'm not sure. I didn't label all these, but I know this mask may have been from Haley or Lindsay. This little stocking, whatever, not a stocking cap, but the, the whatever that is that you wear on your head, Brooke or Grayson. Here's some, that was a little booty. They made you cover your, your feet. So there that is. And another hat and a mask. And this was, a, I think, a shirt something I put on over my clothes to protect and to be sterile. And so if I, if I take all of this, which to me reminds me of my family, of my children, I mean, why wouldn't I want to come and, and bring these things and, and put it here? Why wouldn't I? Well, I just did. For me, a lot of it may be wrapped up. I've got some little green tokens here that represent money. And I've got a little wallet here. So I'm going to take money and put it over here and bring that to the manger as well. I've got a gavel here. It represents to me authority and law and good manners, you might say. Just And I think that's a, a bedrock part of our society. And so let's go over here by Mr. Camel and let's put the gavel here because it represents what I would want to bring and what I think our world would want to bring, just like these people did in their day and time. These things represent who we are. Then I brought the, I brought the box. And the box is not going to be open because this just represents, and if you can use your own imagination, I, just, I bring this because this is really what's important to me. What's inside this box is... It's a big deal to me. Just like you have, you have something like this in your own life. I'm not saying it's necessarily tangible. Maybe something actually in here in your mind. Or it may be an idea. It may be a relationship. Whatever it might be, you know, here, here it is. I bring it. I add it. Is there anything wrong with adding these things? There could be everything wrong about what I've just done. If it's done in a spirit that goes against the true spirit and the true meaning of what Advent is. Now, I spoke of these things. I spoke of a child's cowboy and a child's dinosaur. And then I just lay all these other things out there. And if my my view is that I offer these things because of what this child is going to do for the world, what he means to the universe, the most important answer of all time, the most important person of all time, everything that God has intended, the great mystery, if you will, wrapped up in this child, in Jesus. Then all these things I bring to the manger make sense. There's an old Christmas carol called In the Bleak Midwinter, and the last stanza says... What then shall I give him? Talking about a a person approaching the manger and looking at this scene. What then shall I give him? Poor as I am. If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. But what I have, I give him. I give to him my heart. 
So in a sense, when we bring our lives before this scene and we give to Jesus what all these things uh, uh, represent in our lives, nothing wrong with them in and of themselves. When it represents the giving of our lives, the giving of our heart, then all these things are fine. But beware. Remember, Paul's writing to a group of people. And he said, if you don't watch it, your Christianity is going to vaporize into meaningless nothing or it's going to freeze into some ritual that means very little. So if I come to this scene and I add these things, but it's, it's that I have to have these things because I won't be happy unless I have them. You see the difference? Or if it is Christmas is meaningful to me only if God grants to me what this family represents. It's a totally different different view. If I sit here and pick up a, a desire or I hold up wealth and it's, I'm bringing this to the Christmas scene, I'm bringing this with me because if Christmas doesn't mean I get these things, then I'm going to turn away and serve him no more. You see, it's totally different when you add things in that spirit. You take a great idea of law and order and of a society that you want to, to function properly. But then what can this become? It can become legalism. It can become, you will do this my way or no way. It becomes something that you use to hurt other people. And we know good and well that part of what Paul was writing to this church about was the danger of legalism. Is that what this means when I bring it to the manger? And especially this. If this biggest desire of my life and my heart is brought to the baby Jesus with the condition that I'm coming and paying homage to you because I expect this box to be filled or I expect it to stay just like it is. So you see, from a child's perspective, adding a dinosaur, adding a cowboy can be something positive. God owns it all. And I bring to Him what to me represents everything that God created. But then as you get older not wiser. Then as you get older and more self-centered, then the bringing of all these things changes into something totally different, something wrong. So you got to be careful what you add. Well, what about removing things? What about taking things away from this scene? Can that be possible? Well, Let's think about it. Let, let's just start with, let's put, a, put everything I brought back in here. Has anything really changed because I removed these things that mean something to me? There, there. I think I got them all. Anything really changed at all? Well, you might say, well, there, there were some important things there, Stephen, to all of us. But I'm talking about just the essence of what this scene is all about. Is it changed? No. And I would, I would say you could do this. Let's, let's take the shepherds and let's pull them out. Let's bring them. Even the animals, innocent as though they might be, let's remove them. Anything really changed? No. 
These guys, let's remove them. Let's take them. Get them out of the way. Sorry, camel. Go over here. Ah, stable. I mean, really, you could remove Joseph. You could remove Mary. Now, this particular one I can't because it's one piece. But the whole idea is you can remove it all. But if you remove Jesus, then it's all meaningless. Hear me. Now, I'm not, try, I'm not trying to rewrite God's Word. Please don't, because I'm, I'm going to put it all back up. And I, I believe in the whole manger scene. And all those things that I think about adding, I want to do in the right spirit. And then all those things I think about taking away, when really, right at the heart of the matter, when you remove it all, you can't remove Jesus, but you can remove everything but Him. And what does that mean for us? I think it means that we have a lot of learning left to do. He said the great mystery hidden is going to all be found in Jesus. And I think the danger in our society, just like it was in Colossae, is that we move between two extremes of adding so many things to this story that we turn it into something that almost sounds like a fable. Or we remove the most important thing. And we take Jesus out of the event itself. When the event is Jesus. What do we do? I suggest we keep things simple and we keep things focused. And the best way to do that is that sixth verse of the second chapter. I told you to hang on to that thought. That of all those big words and the beauty of Christ Jesus the Lord, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, the most important words in that verse is the word as and the word so. The little connecting words that we skip, that we just gloss over. They're the most important grammatically in that sentence and they're the most important spiritually in that sentence because think about it. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. What's he saying? As. How did you and how did I receive Jesus? By faith. As we receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Go back to as. Answer as in your life. How did you receive Jesus? How did you begin that relationship with Him? You asked Him to come into your life to forgive your sin and you did that as an act of faith. As you received him by faith, so walk in him. Don't change it. Don't, don't edit it. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. As you receive by faith, so walk in him by faith. See how easy, how simple, how focused that is? And yet we miss it because the two little words that seem most unimportant in that sentence are the most important of all because it will keep us Living by faith instead of adding things to it, taking away things from it, thinking that now we know Jesus, we've got to please him, we've got to perform, we have to act, we've got to earn it. No, as you received, so walk in him. Folks, Christmas 
is built on the manger scene? Yes. But it's because Jesus is worthy. It's because He is the Son of God. He is the sacrificial Lamb. He is the one we will gather around in the heavenly host when that day comes. It's all about Him. And if we keep it all about Him, we won't stray over here, we won't stray over there. We'll live lives pleasing unto God. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to hear your word, to think of you, to ask serious questions about what this time of year truly means. And Father, help us to make those decisions that honor you and help us to make them today. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. We offer an invitation as we conclude this service today, an opportunity for you and me to make important decisions. It could be that as we stand in a moment and sing, hang on, we're not standing yet, but when we do that, our ministers and deacons will be standing here in the front to help guide you. could be that you're here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life. You've never done the as, as you received. Well, you need to do that. It's a step of faith. It's a decision that you make. And I would urge you to make that choice today and to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you know him, hadn't told anyone, never professed your faith publicly. I would encourage you to do that, to be willing to be baptized as a believer. Maybe you're here today and God would lead you to join this church. Maybe this is the congregation, the community of faith where you feel God is leading you to join you and your family. If that's the case, we'd invite you to come forward and join our church today. And then for many of us in this room, it's getting close to the day. We have been talking about Advent. This is the fourth Sunday of Christmas. We gather next Sunday on Christmas Day in this very room. Are you ready? Have you prepared? Do you anticipate? It's never too late. And it may have everything to do with how you view that manger scene that you've seen everywhere this season. You may have 50 of them in your house. But every time you look at it, what are you adding? Are you adding whatever it is in the right spirit? If so, God bless you. May God use what you and I add to this scene to honor him. Or are you adding those things because you're giving God an ultimatum? Be careful. And what are you taking away? What are you allowing this world we live in to take away? Don't let them take away Jesus. That's our choices today. Those are our choices. I pray you'll make the right decision and make it right now. We stand together. We sing. We wait for you. Come now.